And if there's one line I like to use is we are essentially allowing the underwriting team to focus on the core, which is underwriting and not the chore, which is collection of data. Well, hello and welcome to episode 155. And we are up to well over 100,000 downloads for the Instec London podcast now. Now, often in life, it is the small things that make a difference. So thank you to all of you that have been in contact to say how much you enjoy the podcast. It really makes it worthwhile. And we've got lots of fascinating guests lined up for you in the next few months. And with our return to live events, we're going to be bringing you the highlights from those evenings on the podcast as well. Now, those discussions seem to get more lively as the evening evolves. I wonder why that could be. I'm Matthew Grant, and along with Robin Mertens, we're the hosts of the Instec London podcast, our events, dinners, and somewhere in between all of that, we're also the authors of various articles and our monthly reports. Now, as you may have noticed, we have been growing our team over the last few months, and in particular, we've been building out our research team to ensure that we can maintain the volume and the content and the quality of what we are producing. So a big thanks to Rebecca, who's leading that team, Ali and Henry, for taking our reports, newsletters, and articles to a whole new level. You're going to be hearing a lot more from them soon. Well, if you're a regular listener, you may recall my interview with Joran Morinhoff, CEO and founder of Friss, on episode 105 last year. Now, Friss has gone from strength to strength since our interview, including acquiring Terrine Labs, founded by Puesh Singh earlier this year. Now, we're talking to over 200 companies each month, and the question of how to improve and expand the quality of information for commercial properties is something we are often asked by insurers. So in our discussion, I find out from Puyesh how he built his business over the last five years, and in particular, what it is that enables Frist to now be able to provide hundreds of data points to underwriters from asking only four pieces of information to their clients. Puyesh was previously Chief Information Officer at Insurers Great American and RNI, and what impressed me when we spoke was how he had zeroed in on the specific challenge insurers have and delivered them a practical, workable solution. And the proof of that is in the number of clients he's actually signed up to use the application. As usual, you can get the edited written highlights from this on the dedicated podcast page on our website. Follow the link in the notes or go directly to www.instec.london. Piyush, great to meet you. We've met only fairly recently, but I've been a great fan of Friss since I spoke to Joran Morinoff last year and you were acquired by Friss in April, having founded Terrine Labs uh, about five years ago. And you're dealing in an area that I think is fascinating because there's still a question a lot of people asking about how to get good information on properties, particularly for commercial, for small business. So, yeah, really looking forward to hearing a little bit more about how you built the business and how things are going today. But thank you for joining us. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you, Matthew, and I look forward to this conversation now. I've heard a few podcasts before and find it really fascinating. Good. Well, I think you promised since I last spoke to you, you can actually go and listen to your, I guess, your new, new boss's podcast, Joran's one. So hopefully over the weekend you had a chance to listen to that. I, I did, and a few others too. Good. Well, I, I don't even know. We have a leaderboard for podcasts. I'm not quite sure what the view is in Frisk. I'm sure Joran's very generous. If you beat him on the leaderboard next time round, then uh, we can all be happy. You know, he's very competitive, so he's going to do another podcast very quickly following that if I beat him. <laughs> Tremendous. Uh, so I'd love to hear a bit about the background to, you know, what originally led you to starting up Tareen 
And I know you were CIO at Great American, but yeah, perhaps just be good to understand, you know, you're one of these people that has worked in the insurance industry, maybe got frustrated, saw an opportunity, built your own business. Uh, so what was it you know, that motivated you to take you out of the, the world of insurance? Yeah. So, so I think a couple of things. I was, as you uh, rightly mentioned, I was working at CIO at Great American Insurance. Before that, I was CIO at RLI. So I had been very involved in looking at the entire landscape and how the landscape was evolving along the way. I had also been involved in a few startups on the side and actually even ran a startup event myself. If you looked at the market space, the $100 billion small commercial market space was dying in terms of really looking at how could it actually improve, and nobody was addressing it. So we were one of the pioneers in terms of getting into that industry to really trying to impact that particular industry. That's number one. Second is, yes, as a CIO, I had done quite a bit, but I did not want to do one more policy system administration implementation. So I thought I needed to get out and have an impact on the industry, which is really what made me come out and really uh, hit the insure tech industry. So it's good to hear that the industry's challenges have also uh, spawned a new business. The two areas you're looking at are sort of simplicity and enrichment for how companies are engaging with their clients. So I guess it could be brokers or it could be the, the insurers or the carriers. Can you just talk a little bit about you know, what you started building once you decided to launch Doreen? The small business person is become very, very tech savvy in his entire operation in the last 10 years or so, dealing with all kinds of interactions, whether it's the banks or the credits or anything else. An area that we left really far behind is the insurance marketplace. So the idea was, how do you simplify customer experience, which is something that they are all wanting because they want it transparent, they want it easy to use. So almost like Amazon-like experience, how do you simplify that? So that's number one. Second is, from a carrier standpoint, not simply automating the process, and I do want to make a really important point is, it's really building a solution. What are the carrier trying to do? They're trying to understand the risk better. So it's not just asking the questions that they've asked forever, but actually enriching them with all kinds of third-party information that's available so that they understand the risk better. That's really the theme that we went about in trying to address in the entire spectrum of things that we were trying to do. Yeah, that theme, I mean, is coming through quite strongly, isn't it? I mean, everybody ultimately are individuals. They've got personal lives. They make choices about how they buy things. There's no reason why they should be buying insurance differently. You, I think you have said he, but of course it could be a man or a woman running their business who now wants to have the simplicity in buying their insurance. So you've basically created this. You're going to help insurers get better information and help the customer. Can you just, sort of, from a practical point of view, so we can sort of paint a visual picture of how this looks if you're providing this to a client? I mean, what are, what are they actually getting from you and what are they offering to their clients to improve this experience? So, so let's just take an example of a carrier or a broker. What they have today is when they build out the agent portal, they have, you know, sometimes hundreds of questions that they're asking the insured of. And the insured has to go through the entire process or the agent to be able to try to get a quote or get an indication whether this could actually be underwritten by the company. We've simplified the front end to really only ask for four fields. All we ask for is the name, address, phone number, and website. So from a customer standpoint, that's easy to provide. That's frictionless from their standpoint. Then in the background, our data aggregation engine kicks in 
we resolve the entity, we do the classification of the business, and then we collect data from thousands of sources to bring it all together in a manner that the underwriter understands the risk much better. So that's sort of what we provide. And then we can sieve it for each carrier to their own questions because every carrier has a different appetite when it comes to small commercial. And no two carriers are similar. I'll give you a simple example. Matthew might write the insured, even if the restaurant is open beyond 11 p.m., I might say anything open beyond 11 p.m. is high risk. I don't write that. But my collection of data remains standard, and then I sieve it to each carrier so that they can get their underwriting appetite and the questions answered appropriately. I want to come just back through that again and take it step by step because there, there are some really important and interesting things you put in there. So first of all, you're saying there's only four questions you ask, name, address, phone number, and website. I guess what's really interesting about that, you know, normally people might ask, well, what is you know, what is your trade? What are you doing? All the rest of it. So it sounds like you know, the website in particular, you can then extract all the information you need to understand the business from their website and then presumably some additional data that you're referring to. Not only do we address from the website, but we take websites, social media, licensing, and other third-party information to truly understand the business. And I just want to elaborate one quick second on this. As you understand very well, and our clients do, classification of the business leads to deciding what coverage I offer to them, as well as what exclusions are going to have to the policy itself. And in the modern world today, Not only do we have businesses doing one kind of work, they're actually doing other kinds of work also. So there's a pizza, Dino's Pizza in Chicago during COVID. It was also making masks. Now, if you're writing the pizza place just at a pizzeria, you would not know that they're also a manufacturer of masks, which is a medical equipment. So they're into manufacturing. Now, it's a great social story, but from an insurance standpoint, I need to know that that they're doing it. And there's only so many ways you can ask a question of a business on all kinds of operations. But it's a lot easier for us to sift it through to do the classification of the business and provide it back to the company. That's really interesting. And then uh, is there an obligation or maybe it's a part of the sort of customer service that the insurer would then go back to their client or I guess the broker would be working sometimes and and say, this is what we've discovered about you. We happen to know that you're making masks as well as making pizzas, and therefore we're going to use this for your insurance, or, or do they tend to keep that to themselves? I mean, or maybe it's different choices they make. The way our system works is all that information can be made available to the agent slash the insured, and the insured can then sign off and say all this information is correct. Uh, and I think that helps because... That way they get the right coverage also. So keep in mind, it's not just a carrier discovering it. It's also the insured knowing what coverage they need to buy because they might be unaware that they need to buy that coverage to cover that risk. Insurance is a very key aspect that is the engine behind people operating small businesses and being willing to take the risk to run a small business because they know they're covered in case of a liability. But if you don't educate them, which is also part of this process, then they do not know that they might have one mask that went bad and somebody sues them and the business goes down because they have no coverage. But if insurance has done a good job and we've done a good job for the carriers, the insurance company can then provide the appropriate coverage for the right premium and the business can continue in existence on a longer term basis. Uh, And it seems that you're 
also part of that whole risk management uh, you know, for the individual businesses then. So, yes, part of it is what insurance they buy, but by feeding this information back to them. And I, I think it sounds like you deal directly in some cases. Some cases you go through agents or brokers, and I think in some cases you actually have other organizations that are in between yourselves or I guess ultimately the insurer it is and the end client isn't it so there's a collaboration around what the risk is and what the right form of protection should be from an insurance perspective yeah absolutely correct I think I would call it as the insurance carrier becomes the expert advisor to the agent slash insured and what you're doing is you're taking a ton of tribal knowledge that is spread around and essentially institutionalizing it okay so that's that's really what you're doing because individual underwriters would have known that this is what different things people do, but that's all individual underwriters. Now you have institutionalized it across the board. And if there's one line I like to use is we are essentially allowing the underwriting team to focus on the core, which is underwriting, and not the chore, which is collection of data. How much of this is automated versus requires human intervention because you know, there's a lot of been a lot of discussions, maybe less so these days, but if you go about five years ago about you know the role of automation, disruption, you know, even some people talking about disintermediation and taking the brokers out of the loop. The way you're describing it to me, some of it needs some some people to actually get involved and engage directly with the the business owner. The way I would define that, Matthew, is really every every client that's working on small commercial, their goal is to get as much business and straight through processing as possible. So, yes, the more they can do it straight through, the better off they're going to be. Because when you have a $1,200 policy, when an underwriter touches it for an hour with ping pong, you've actually lost money already. Now, there are certain risks. What you want to do is you want to funnel it through to say, I would like the majority of it to go through a straight through, but there's a section of it that will get referred because, you know, the pizzeria making masks needs to be referred to an underwriter, okay, because it's not standard in there. But majority of the pizzerias that are only doing pizza go through straight with no issues. And because I've institutionalized all the questions in the background, which helps them do the underwriting come trigger it to the right pricing matrix so that they can price the risk appropriately. Yeah, and that's how they make their money, of course. Each time they have to get human intervention, there's a, there's a cost associated with that. And the data you're providing, this is not pricing data. And obviously in the U.S., you know, from a filing rates and things, that's all quite controlled. This is more about you're providing information to the insured and they choose what to do with it. And they can also go out and purchase additional information to enhance the information you're providing. Yeah, absolutely correct. We truly believe our role is to enrich the underwriting platform. You know, we are not here to take a decision on behalf of a company. Our role is to enrich the underwriters so that they, their engines and their configurations then kick in with all this data coming in without them having to go through Google or Yelp or figure out all those things. So if I have to go through social media as an example and I have 50 keywords to search, you can just imagine what a nightmare it is to go through all the reviews and search for each keyword and hope that at 9 a.m. on Tuesday morning, I have the same efficiency as at 3 p.m. on a Friday afternoon. And it's not just two people. I myself might do it differently at different time frames. So how 
hard is it to, to do this? I mean, you've done an awful lot in the five years since you set up the company. I'm, I mean, I know you've got a lot of databases, your information in general, you're tapping into. Well, what's the hard part of this? Is it, is it discovering the data or is it extracting the data in a usable way? I'd like to give you an analogy, Matthew. If you think of it, the world's data is available. All the websites are available to Google and all the websites are available to Bing. We all use Google because it's a smarter index engine. So I think the data sets are available to everyone across the board. I think it's really building that expertise on how to search for data to get the highest lift possible and get as few false positives in the process. That's really the core IP that we've actually built. And there must be some interesting stories you've got or examples of data you discovered that is quite revealing. And I suspect, like many things, it's a bit of the Pareto 80, 20, you know, 20% of the data you find is going to influence 80% of the underwriting decisions. Are there any examples you can talk about that kind of brings yeah. that to life? So a contractor, a contractor is writing business. And typically, you ask them, what is the state that they're based out of? Because that's the rating that takes place. So we found this contractor in Iowa. Then when we started looking at all the permits, which is a piece of information insurance carriers never look at, we found that 95% of his permits were issued in California. Okay? Now, you suddenly got a contractor sitting in Iowa, right, doing all his business in California, which is a highly litigious state. So I'm paying Iowa rates to write business in California. That's a great deal from an insured standpoint, not good from a carrier standpoint. Okay. We found contractors where the number of permits from last year to this year has gone up by 300%. We found a restaurant the other day that had a very interesting situation. When you sift it through social media, you're not looking for this, but when you say shots, you truly think of drinking shots when it comes to a restaurant. We found that there was mention of shots had been fired. Okay. Now it changes the risk completely from an underwriter standpoint. Or there was mention of live mice in the restaurant in the health inspection report. I'm giving you examples of things that people never look at and they're never part of the questionnaire in any insurance application. But if you think of the risk, now you think of all those risks very differently. Well, P.S., my, my, uh, my partner, Robin Mertens, is writing a paper now on introduction to algorithms. He will love that analogy for the mm-hmm. use of AI to tell the difference between uh, tequila shots and pistol shots, as an example yeah. of the good use of AI. I'm sure you've got clients out there. You've been going five years uh, and fristed, I'm sure, acquired you, not just because you've got some great technology. Can you talk about and some of the companies you're working with today? A lot of the companies are not willing to be public. And the reason is because they really feel this is a competitive advantage of what they're trying to do. But all I can tell you is we've got a $10 billion carrier. We've got a $5 billion carrier. uh, And this is in premium volumes. uh, You know, several super regionals around the place, but national carriers, super regionals, uh, state-based carriers. So we've got clients across the board. And the only reason I'm not giving you names is because all of these clients truly believe this is a competitive edge in the marketplace. Now, well, you're kind enough to share some clients with me earlier. I've got written down here. I'm not going to reveal who they are, but you certainly, Please, have, okay. some, you certainly <laughs> have some very, very impressive clients there. But at the same time, you know, I know there's a lot of healthy skepticism out there from the established insurers around the tools and things. So presumably when you're signing up a new client, you've got to demonstrate to them that what you're doing 
does actually work in practice? So how, how do you do that? And particularly in the early days, how do you convince someone that they're going to get value? Yeah, absolutely right. There is a healthy skepticism about whether this is actually going to help or not. So we typically tend to do a proof of concept with most of the clients and we'll take a few hundred risks to 500 risks on a particular industry segment and we'll run it against our engine and our configuration to really, I'll go back to the word to show them the art of what is possible. Now, the, the underwriting team now suddenly changes its focus from collecting data on each of the risk, which is what I call the chore, to becoming the experts to say, what kind of data do I want? And they are spending more time in rules and definitions of what will I accept, what will I decline, and of the thousands of variables of data that I provide to them, which new ones will become part of their recipe or their asset value to say, I write it differently because in my appetite, in my profile of the book, these variables add value in the underwriting or the pricing side. Can you just talk us through you know, how, how did you come across Friss and what was the sort of motivation on both sides to to get together? We had grown almost 140% in the year of the pandemic. And uh, we wanted to scale up. And for us to scale up, we had certain basic needs. You have to build in HR, finance, operations, sales, and then uh, continue to invest. Not focus on the chore, but the core, it became the same. You know, building all those functions which were already ready-made with Fresh was an instant uh, trajectory for us. And we could focus more on the mission that we wanted to do. So I think one of the biggest things that I've liked with Yaron and Christian is the fact that, you know, our missions are aligned. Our missions are very aligned and the core focus of impacting the industry is very, very strong, which is what I think several conversations and a few few drinks uh, and few numbers over the napkins uh, later, we decided to get acquired by Fresh. I hope you kept the napkins because those always go down into sort of part of the company history. And uh, I'm sure that'd be an interesting journey of the dis- discussion. But of course, Frisk, I mean, they were in a, a complementary area, certainly when you're talking about Absolutely. The, some of the areas with your contractors and things in, in, in terms of I mean, their focus is around looking at fraud at the point of underwriting and at the point of claims. But you're, you're clearly also taking them into a new area and mm-hmm. I guess growing their business in the US, given that they started in the Netherlands, I know. They are worldwide, and I think we spoke last year. They had something like 240 clients. I'm sure it's grown since then. But it sounds like you know, you're know you adding them both new capability and a new geography to go into. Absolutely. So we were focused 100% on the U.S. market only, and uh, U.S. and North America is their break growth paths in there. Uh, and you're absolutely right, Matthew. It's a very complementary solution to the marketplace. And also from an industry standpoint, we expect to have a larger impact in the longer run because now we can bring in the underwriting and claims side together using data at the engine. These are two units that tend to be disparate in the insurance marketplace, but we'll be able to bring it much closer together. So that's a huge benefit from a market standpoint also. And you mentioned in passing earlier on that you've grown through COVID. So congratulations with that, I mean, traditionally, sales to insurers or sales to technology were very sort of people-driven, face-to-face, you know, a lot of time together, a lot of getting on, on airplanes. Clearly, you couldn't do that and haven't done it, and yet have still grown. Do you think that's shifting the, you know, the way people buy now technology and insurance, or is that just a kind of anomaly and we're going to have to go back to that going forward? At the end of the day, you're selling value. Okay. And when you're selling value, I think it becomes important to be able to convey a value proposition 
and find the leaders who understand your value and also very importantly leaders who have the vision to drive their company's agenda so i will say number one reason we sell to the companies that we may made uh, been able to sell to is because they've had leaders with the vision to see the future and go from there and, and i think one thing i would like to add i didn't mention this earlier small commercial in us is a very very fragmented market the top 5 players are only 26% of the total market and each one being none of them being larger than 6% which means what we are providing is you know uh, the davids of the world can compete with the goliaths of the world okay so it it levels and democratizes the playing field to say even the smallest carrier if they have the right vision they can grow and become and compete with the bigger folks because the agents/insureds are looking for ease of use they're looking for better underwriting better pricing and the risks yeah i think it's true both on the carrier side and on the agent and broker side in that in that diversification in there uh, and, and then Piyush, just on that your own sort of journey building the company uh, just a, very interesting to get your experience and maybe advice to others going through it. so you came out of a cio role so uh, and presumably you have to negotiate budgets and things, but you weren't selling. You've grown the business. Yeah, I think a lot of people's experiences, you know, founder, CEO, building a business, you know, they have to sell, but actually to scale, you need to bring other people in. From that mm-hmm. perspective, you know, what's made you successful with how you've gone to market and actually sold your business you know, from, from your own personal point of view? And what advice would you give to other founders trying to grow their business? I think running a startup is a completely different ball game than being in a corporate world. Okay, I think we've made lots of mistakes and we've had lots of successes in there. Uh, but I think the biggest thing that we've really done well is we've been very honest about what we've sold and been very honest to all our clients about our capabilities and where we are and where we are headed towards. I brought in uh, a lot of team members who truly were domain experts, had been in the domain. and truly not just domain experts from a point of you know having a designation but truly from a standpoint of we knew what people were trying to do and had that mindset of again i'll use the word the art of possible to show the underwriters uh, you know two years back literally prior to covid we started adding its sidewalk cafe permits to the restaurant database okay and we looked around with 40 different insurance companies nobody was asking you whether you had a sidewalk cafe or not outside a restaurant but intuitively when you tell the underwriter can i provide that to you he said absolutely yes i would love to know that but your know, one question of i was not selling before you're right but i think as a role as a leader you're always selling a vision even internally you're selling a vision and you're bringing in a team together to be able to execute that vision Uh, so in some ways you're always selling uh, as a leader so i think that came in more natural to me than otherwise would be yeah no, that i completely can see that and on that point about selling you sort of mentioned in passing is a leader you have to convince leaders to make a decision that's often the difficult part for people coming into insurance companies or trying to sell technology into insurance companies is who's actually making the decision you mentioned underwriters in there but is there a typical buyer or come do they come from a typical part of the company when you're selling in or does this vary depending on the company so i think majority of the times we have sold it to the chief underwriting officer or the small business division head 
uh, in there. That's that's the typical profile of our sales side. Uh, and I think the other part is really finding those golden nuggets and those leaders who have a vision. Okay? Not, it's not everybody's cup of tea. A lot of people want to be in cruise mode. A lot of people are very happy. This is the way business is running. I'm making money. Why do I want to rock the boat? Uh, but then there are leaders who are trying to build the industry of the future, and they also feel that this will give them the edge to compete with the bigger companies. Those are the ones that are actually buying into these things more. Yeah, and I'm sure you're you're familiar with uh, Jeffrey Moore's crossing the chasm, the, the technology adoption curve, and the need to sell to those early adopters first of all before uh-huh. you get to the rest. And it sounds like you've successfully crossed that chasm. Congratulations, and now scaling on that. Um, well, Pish, I've, I've asked you a lot of questions. Is there anything we haven't covered that you think is important to talk about? I think the only other part I would say is uh, underwriting is going through a transformation in the small commercial side. Uh, and I think while all the glass and the news is taken over by the personal auto and homeowners, uh, small commercial is definitely the next battlefront. Uh, for the insurance companies, and I think the winners are going to be people who leverage data, who uh, leverage insights on top of the data, and while they will all have their own ways of writing and their own underwriting and uh, appetites and the pricing matrix, but I think uh, letting the underwriters focus on the core of underwriting and building their expert engines on that versus the chore of collecting data is going to be the differentiating aspect of that. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, when we're not talking to technology companies like yourself, we're talking to insurance companies and you know, no surprise to you, but a number of them have been asking the questions about who do we think is building out strong applications for looking at this small commercial space. So yeah, it's great to have a, have a chance to go a bit deeper into what you're doing. And so I can too sound knowledgeable and hopefully pass some people your way, you know, create mm-hmm. some happy partnerships. But uh, so finally, if anybody does want to find out more about what you're doing, what's the best way to contact you or, or Fris or your colleagues? I think uh, de- definitely our website uh, definitely has a lot of information in there. Through LinkedIn or directly to us, reach out to us. Happy to talk, happy to educate on our journey. Would love to chat with them. And just be clear, so you're now, you've now rebranded or part of Fris now, so if anybody wants That's to come up, they go through Fris. Good. Okay. Uh, are, you, are you now being required to wear the uh, orange polo shirt as well? I, I was actually, that was part of the deal. I did tell them that, you know, uh, I'm a dark-skinned guy. It might not look as good on them, but they, they, they said, no, you have to. And I said, I'd be happy to. <laughs> no excuses. Excellent. Well, hopefully we can see each other face-to-face, either in your side of the world or in our side of the world. The continued discussion has been fascinating to learn what you're doing and actually see these things come to life as well. So, Piers, thank you very much. And uh, best wishes for the next stage of your growth. Now, thank you so much. Uh, we are looking at expanding in UK, so I will. I do plan to cross the pond and come down and definitely will look you up. Bye for now. Thanks a lot. Well, there's a lot to learn in that. Definitely worth checking out. Friss. Now, in addition to generating our monthly reports at Instec, we've also been welcoming on more corporate members, over 50 in the last few months. And in order to maintain our monthly check-in with all of our members, as well as creating and sharing content, we're going to have to expand the team. So if you'd like a confidential discussion about the roles we have open, please do contact me, Matthew Grant, via LinkedIn. And of course, we'd also love to talk to you about why insurers and technology companies around the world are joining us as corporate members uh, and how that might help you as well. So to learn more, contact me or Robin Mertens or email us hello at instec.london. 
Finally, as I mentioned, we are back with live evening events in London, 14th of September and then the 11th of October. Details on the website. It would be great to see you there.